Okay, once again, before we begin, I have to play you an intro that is just too perfect not to. For all of you OGs who love my original intro, don't worry, it will be back. <laughs> Maybe. Anyways, play the track! Scared to die? Are you? Welcome to this week's episode of What the Actual F. To all of my longtime listeners, I hope you're having a beautiful day and uh, you know who I am. To all of my first time listeners, hello and welcome. My name is Harmony. And I'm sure to all of my longtime listeners, you are all probably sitting there wondering why. Oh my lord, hold, it, hold on one second. Listen, this isn't a joke. I'm not trying to, like, I don't know, get clout? Is that what it is? Like people say these days? I don't know. But I apologize for what just happened. I genuinely want to tell you what I just experienced, and then we'll continue the episode. If you don't want to hear this, feel free to skip forward. I was sitting on my bed recording, and as you guys heard, I (laughs) freaked out. (laughs) But there's a very real reason why. I swung my head around just to like, you know, I'm moving around as I was talking because I was very animated and how you guys heard me speaking that happiness is because I was, you know, genuinely like, woohoo. But right now I'm not so much woohoo. I'm more like, what the fuck just happened? So as I swing around, uh, right next to me, I see a shadow figure is the, like the only way I can explain it, but in the reflection of my TV. And it looked like it was either putting its hand toward my shoulder or it was already on my shoulder. So naturally, um, I freaked out a little bit. But here's the kicker, guys. I don't know if you caught on to with the intro and where I was going. I'm talking about reincarnation in this episode. So I find it a bit just trippy that this is the episode that that happens on, as I've never experienced that in this house. So... Yeah. I'm not saying, by the way, that you guys need to believe me. I'm just sharing with you my reality and what I just experienced. I cannot uh, explain it, and that's, that's all I have. So, take it with a grain of salt, or believe it if you'd like. It's up to you. I have no reason to defend my reality and what I just experienced. So, anyways, let's go ahead and continue with the episode, which, as you know, has to do with reincarnation. A few moments later. Okay, hey, 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 hey. If you have been skipping forward, uh, stop right here. We're going to start the show. My apologies for that little break. For those of you who did actually listen to it, you understand. Now that we are back at the whole shebang of why we are gathered here, let's talk about somebody that is very... 
baffling to, well, historians. Or maybe it's scientists? Um, anyways, this lady is absolutely just mind-blowingly amazing. And her story centers around exactly what we're going to discuss. Reincarnation. There was once a British woman who claimed to have lived in ancient Egypt. This can really only be described as a historical head-scratcher, if you will. I'm going to tell you the tale of Dorothy Eadie, a 20th century Egyptologist of some renown. I mean, this woman is sort of legendary with her tale. All of her life, she claimed to be the reincarnation of a priestess in the cult of Isis. No, 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 not, not that Isis, not, not, not the one that you guys are probably thinking of. I'm, I'm talking about like Egyptian. Okay, okay, now that we're on the same page. The thing though about Dorothy is, it seemed that she had very intimate knowledge and evidence to back up this claim. She knew details that had never even been published to the public. So, are you as curious as I was when I first heard the tale of Dorothy Eadie? Because ever since I did, this has stuck with me. And for the record, I've had my own experiences that make me believe that this life we currently are experiencing isn't our only one. But I don't want to get sidetracked again. Maybe one day in the future, I'll do an episode and share with you guys some of the most baffling, mind-blowing glitches and experiences that I have had that make me believe just about all the paranormal things and supernatural stories that I tell you. Now, for you skeptics out there, you can say, oh my god, Harmony, you are crazy. There is always a logical explanation. But what about when there isn't? And that is going to intro our tale today of Dorothy Eadie. Ladies and gentlemen, and everybody else, I don't know, maybe like dogs and cats listen to this too. That's for y'all. Let's begin. that soundbite harmony you led with nothing. Don't worry, it's gonna make sense in about two seconds. Born in London in 1904 to Irish parents, Dorothy's remarkable story begins at the early age of just three years old. This was when she fell headfirst down a flight of stairs in her own home, and as a result, she was knocked unconscious. Now, here are where some accounts actually disagree and differ in what happened. Some say she was pronounced dead before suddenly being revived. Others claim that she probably suffered a brain injury of some sort which would lead to foreign accent syndrome. Now, for those of you who are unaware and have never heard of foreign accent syndrome, I assure you it's a very real thing. Foreign accent syndrome, otherwise known as FAS, is a speech disorder that causes a sudden change to speech so that a native speaker is perceived to speak with a foreign accent. 
It would be like me falling right now, getting up and then just being like, good day, mate. Oh my God, that was really bad. Why did I choose that accent? Oh my God. But I, I mean, like, you get it, right? Suddenly I'm speaking in an accent that I have just never had. I don't even know what that one was. I can't do this. I'm not an accent person if I'm just like put on the spot, but you get it, right? Like you, if you hit your head and you woke up and all of a sudden you're talking different, that's not normal. And some people claim that this is simply just what happened. But again, I'm gonna tell you the story and I want you to be the judge. You are allowed to have your own informed opinion. So please listen to the tale of Dorothy and just hear how remarkable it is. And you tell me, you can send me an email or you can leave a comment wherever you're listening to this and tell me, what do you think of this tale? Cause I'll tell you, this one is just mind blowing. So like, let's quit yapping and get back to it. Am I right? Now, whatever the case, this fall that she had altered her forever. For one thing, her speech patterns had noticeably changed. For another, she kept asking her parents to take her home. Now, this was strange because, well, Dorothy was home. So they would ask her, where is home exactly? However, Dorothy didn't have an answer for them. She didn't quite know where her home was, but she just knew it wasn't there. And of course, her mother and father were understandably completely baffled over this. Sometime within the first year of her incident, Dorothy's parents brought her to an Egyptian exhibit in the British Museum. It was at this very point her story truly gets very bizarre and takes a turn. Wandering around among all of the exhibits and artifacts, it is said that she suddenly pointed to a photo and cried, There is my house! Now, this was baffling because this was the image of the Temple of Seti I, who, if you didn't know, was the father of Ramses the Great. So, of course, her parents were like, hmm, are you sure about that? Because, like, I don't think so. However, Dorothy kept insisting that she had once lived in that very building. And Dorothy also claimed that something was missing. Dorothy said, where are the trees? Where are all the gardens? As the story goes, Dorothy immediately begins to joyously run all around the Egyptian rooms in this museum. She starts kissing the feet of statues and saying she was now, quote, amongst her people. Now, right away, her parents were like, hey, 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 you really gotta stop. Like, we need to make this not a thing, okay? You're just being weird right now and we can't explain it to our friends. I mean, guys, this is like the early 1900s. <laughs> Little bit bizarre behavior. Right now, if we see a kid running around, we're just like, oh, Someone should uh, get control of that thing. And yes, I said that thing because some of y'all got some unruly children. So anyways, she's running around just being a little bit bizarre. However, as she began to grow older, her bizarre behavior kind of took on a life of its own. She began to visit exhibits as often as she could. And at some point, she caught the attention of the prominent Egyptologist E.A. Wallace Budge, who would encourage her to learn hieroglyphics. Guys, this is crazy. We're gonna jump forward just a little bit. But before we do, let's hear from Dorothy herself. <laughs> How do you feel now you're in the temple? I feel wonderful. I'm so grateful. I was beginning to think I'd never see it again in this life. Yes. Sit in the next one. 
Before these teenagers were a bit troubled. One Sunday school teacher, for instance, asked that her parents keep her at home because she had a tendency to compare Christianity with Egyptian paganism, which apparently was frowned upon there. This very same school would end up expelling her after she refused to sing any songs to God. She said, quote, they were used to curse the swart of Egyptians. It was even said that she threw this hymnal at a teacher before storming out of that class. By the way, that means a book of hymns. And if you don't know what hymns are, they're basically songs about Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 All right, that's all the Jesus stuff you're going to get out of me now. So, at this point, she had to drop Catholic Mass, which, by all accounts, she was kind of happy about. Her comment that it reminded her of the old religion of the pharaohs brought a very angry priest to her house. He told her that she was no longer welcome in his congregation. Because remember, people, only God can judge. Unless you belong in a church, then they're all going to judge you. Sorry, I'm not cutting down any Christians or Catholics out there. I was brought up myself Catholic. But as someone who did attend a church for the first almost 18 years of her life, I do know that behind the scenes, there's some pretty greedy and judgmental shit that does go on. Not to mention a lot of sexual bad things. So like, yeah, come for me if you'd like, but I'm also not wrong. But this story is not about me and what I think and what I have to say when it comes to religion. Let's move forward with the story of Dorothy and how just incredible it is. This is one of the most beautiful reliefs, I think, in this part of the, the temple. Well, art experts say it's the finest bar relief in the whole of Egypt. It's really very fine. What, what can you tell us about the scene? Well, of course, it's as I was seated. And in front of him are the goddesses Mart, goddess of truth and justice, and their red bed, goddess of the year. And the inscription between them and Osiris, it says, adoration four times by the goddesses. Then behind Osiris is his wife Isis, and then Amentet, goddess of the West, and behind her, the goddess Nephis, sister of Osiris and Isis, who, of course, with the custom, they were brother and sister as well as husband and wife. Yes. That was the custom. Good one. It did away with the mother-in-law. <laughs> now, besides having some pretty disturbing tales to tell about how Egyptians got married to their siblings, she had a lot to share that actually was very accurate. But I don't want to get ahead of myself as we need to truly continue this path from the beginning. Her obsession with ancient Egypt only deepened as she began to mature. At the age of 14, she began to describe her sexual and intimate relationship with Seti I. Claiming to have been his lover in a previous life, she even described visions of nighttime visitations in which his mummy came to her bedside, tore away her nightdress, and, well, had his way with her. Yet, rather than this terrifying her, these nocturnal visits or hallucinations, she would enjoy and would become deeply obsessed with them. <laughs> Oh, okay. Hello. I know I'm gonna freshen up. I wish you would freshen up too. Get up there. Oh, 
Oh, yeah, who's it? Who's it? I had to, because that's just kind of what it reminded me of. Now, understandably, in the early 1900s, if a teenager is making this sort of claim, it wasn't really going over well. At this point, her parents began to continuously commit her to numerous sanitariums. However, nothing seemed to help her, nothing worked, and she continued to say the same claims. Dorothy was at a point where she simply refused to let go of her beliefs. And at 16, she finally decided to drop out of school for good. However, her education would hardly be ending there. This is when she began to take up a part-time study program at an art school in Plymouth. Her father actually operated an early movie theater out there, so this was sort of convenient for her. It was here that she had the opportunity to play Isis on the stage, a role for which she felt keenly, well, relatable to, if you catch my drift. During this period, Dorothy worked out the details of her previous life. Dorothy told her parents that during nighttime visitations from an apparition of the god Hora, who dictated it to her over year-long visitations, is how she would come to learn all about her previous life. Claiming to be the reincarnation of a girl named Bentresti, Dorothy described being abandoned at the age of three and being raised thereafter in the temple of Seti I. This was the very building that she saw at that exhibit when she was four years old. She recounted meeting the pharaoh in the temple gardens while serving as a priestess of Isis. By the way, a priestess of Isis losing her virginity was a capital offense. So, after becoming pregnant with Seti's child, she was ordered to stand trial. However, no trial would actually commence, because she chose to die by her own hand. Tom Seti was born in London in 1904, the only daughter of middle-class parents. She's been obsessed with Egypt since she was a small child. Oh, Seti means mother of Seti, because I have a son named Seti. Hoping he'd turn out like the king, of course he didn't. <laughs> Once I lived in a place and I didn't know my son. And they called me Um Iribu after my eldest cat. <laughs> because in the village it's not polite to call a married woman by her real name. Um Seti's particular obsession is this temple at Abydos. She firmly believes she lived here in a previous existence more than 3,000 years ago. Well, it's a rather odd story. When I was three years old I fell downstairs. And, of course, not unconscious, my parents fetched the doctor, who examined me very carefully and said I was dead. And as I was the one and only, um, the apple of my mother's eye, I mean, she went off the deep end and everybody was fussing around her. And I was left in my room lying on the bed. And then the doctor said he'd return in an hour with a nurse to wash the body and uh, the death certificate. Which he did. When he came back with the nurse and went into my room, the dead body was sitting on the bed playing, nothing the matter. The dead body was you? Yes. 
And the doctor apparently was rather annoyed with me. <laughs> My father was also very annoyed with the doctor. Why did he uh, give them such a scare? He, the doctor, swore that he knew I was dead. I mean, he'd done everything, every test, and I was dead, and that was the end of it. However, nothing, uh, there was no visible injuries or anything, but after that, I kept crying and saying, I want to go home. And, of course, I was assured that I was at home, and I was equally sure that I was not. And I started dreaming about this temple here in Abigail's. Okay, so now we are at another very big part in Dorothy's life. Dorothy is 27 right now and decides to go ahead and start writing for an Egyptian magazine in London. While there, she meets a man by the name of Eben Abdel McGuid. This man is who she would go on to marry, but sadly they wouldn't have a happy ending. The two did decide to go ahead and move to Egypt together, as Egypt was something they both had in common. They decided to take up residence in Cairo, and while there, they would have a child, a son that the pair would go on to name Seti. After the birth of their son Seti, Dorothy would take on the moniker of Om Seti. And for all my listeners that do not in fact speak Arabic, that actually has a meaning. Om Seti means mother of Seti in Arabic. Okay, now that you learned something today, bump bump bump, knowledge is power. Let's continue. So you would think at this point, she's in Egypt, she's super happy because she's married, she has this beautiful new baby boy, and she's living in the place that she is the most connected to in her whole life. However, sadly, even though her husband and her husband's family genuinely delighted in all of the tales that Seti had to share, sorry, Om Seti had to share, there came a point where M.M. came to her and said, I want to move to Iraq. And she didn't want to do that. Om Seti decided to stay there in Egypt because she felt so close to home. In any event, it was clear that she loved Egypt more than her husband, so she bid him adieu. Om Seti would stay behind right there in Cairo and raise their son. She would go on to start work as a draftswoman with the National Department of Antiquities. During her tenure there, she would go on to also publish numerous books and articles that are still widely renowned. They are also extensively admired and constantly brought up, talked about, gone through, tried to debunk. It's just fascinating. All of her writing is truly incredible. If her story, by the way, does fascinate you, I highly suggest that you do your own research like I do for everything I share with you guys. But I don't want to get too distracted, let's continue. Just because Om Seti was highly admired or looked up to and fascinated so many people, there were also, as we all know, people on the other side of that. Extremely frightened of her and just flat out not a fan, especially the locals. She was known to spend nights all alone inside the Great Pyramid of Giza, or she would go around and lay offerings at the feet of the Sphinx. This was just kind of abnormal, not something you see on a regular day. These rituals would actually go on to spook many people and made her the subject of so much gossip. Oh lord, gossip, that makes me think of high school. The best years of your life, my ass. Who here was bullied? Quick, I have my hand up. Anyways, again, let's continue. God, I'm getting so sidetracked. 
to be real guys i'm still pretty freaked out from like earlier so sorry bear with me in this episode now just because some people were kind of freaked out by her and what she did and what she shared there were also many people on the other side of that that admired everything and truly and genuinely believed her and you know what they probably had reason to because a lot of the things that Om Seti would share would prove to be true. Let's get to the business. Let's get to the show. No, I'm sorry, guys. Let's get down to the actual real nitty gritty of this case, because this is where like everything that she starts to share really becomes believable. Hold on to your tatas. We're going in. Abydos or Abydos is 350 miles south of Cairo, in the heart of a region where the ancient Egyptian religion once flourished, and it's always possessed a strange magnetic attraction. People came here as pilgrims over many centuries. Let's go right ahead and jump forward into Om Seti's 50s. This was when she was suddenly given the opportunity to work alongside excavators in Abydos. Naturally, of course, she accepted the offer. Abydos was the site of where Seti I and Betrashite had become lovers. After all, this was the very place that she had pointed out as a girl at four years old in that British museum. This was her home. While in Abydos, she proved to be a valuable asset to the researchers. Among many of the things that Om Seti unearthed, she helped them locate the ruins of the gardens that she had seen so long ago and described as a child. Even more uncanny was an exchange that she would go on to have with the chief inspector from the Egypt's Antiquities Department. You see, this chief inspector was a little bit questioning about her. Kind of like, you know, this is a little bit crazy for it to be true, right? Anybody else like wondering that? So he decides to go ahead and have a little field trip with her. He takes her to Seti's temple and tests everything that she's claiming. Standing there in complete and total darkness, he describes a series of wall paintings to her. After each description, he would ask her for her to walk in the direction of that particular mural that he was speaking of. And you know what? She got it right every single time time. Of course, the inspector was naturally astonished. The thing is, is not just was it pitch black in there. There was no way that she could ever have found this out beforehand because the location of these paintings had never been published and were reared as top secret. So how did she know? Bum bum bum! In case you didn't figure it out, that's one of the twists of the story, making it seem very true. But again, I'm not trying to push you into believing. I'm just here to share, but also let you know that I totally believe it. Now, Om Seti would go on to spend the rest of her days in Abydos. She offered so much invaluable assistance to the researchers and excavators who would frequently come through there. So she never left. However, this wasn't why she primarily chose to stay. She said it was because this place brought her a sense of peace. She believed herself to be atoning for the sins of Betrashite. The opportunity to work with the researchers and excavators was just a bonus. Now to her, this may have been something fun and exciting, but it would show to be invaluable. Her contributions to Egyptology were undeniably successful. 
going on to prove many things. She also had a seemingly pre-natural understanding of hieroglyphics and was highly knowledgeable about the local ruins. In 1981, the year that she would sadly pass away, she would actually go on to be featured in the National Geographic documentary called Egypt, Quest for Eternity. And according to many, this is just a very fitting name for someone who is claiming to be in fact reincarnated, i.e. that we as souls, as consciousness, just live forever. Oh boy. <laughs> oh shit. It kind of sucks here. I don't know how fun this is going to get. But like the levels just keep getting harder. Is that what happens? Because I mean, it feels like it. And all my life, I would never say if I go to Egypt. It's always when I go to Egypt. When did you first go to the British Museum? Oh, I went to the museum first of all when I was four. But Mother said I wasn't taking any notice of anything till they got to the Egyptian department. And then I just went crazy. I went and sat down by a mummy in its glass case. When they were ready to leave and called me to come, I refused to come. So Mother came to pick me up. And she said, I yelled out. And in a very unusual voice, I said, leave me. These are my people. This is now going to bring us close to the end. For all her contributions to Egyptology, including countless essays on ancient folk practices, the locals around the area were still completely fearful of her. She died at the age of 77, completely aware that no Christian or Muslim cemeteries would accept her. With this in mind though, she began constructing her very own tomb right in her back garden. Naturally, she wanted an underground chamber with a concrete slab like you would see in ancient Egypt. Yet at the last minute, health officials intervened, insisting she'd be given a proper burial. A local Coptic cemetery finally relented and they allowed her a unwanted plot out in the arid desert. Basically, you can be here, but like, you got to be far away. They also stated that no marker would be placed above her grave. Only a pile of stones would be allowed. That is fucked up. Fucked up. What the fuck is wrong with me speaking of fucked up? I'm in a rare mood today. Her anonymous burial would be a marking of an unceremonious end to a very bizarre and unusual life. A person who did and said many remarkable things. Things that to this day, some several, several, several years later, efforts to disprove her claims are still being done. Yet, they aren't happening. Everything that she claimed and said was true. Naysayers, though, suspect that Olmsteadies somehow gained access to these unpublished materials. You know, she gained quote-unquote top-secret clearance. Pull in some Da Vinci Code shit or whatever. Maybe like Tom cruising down into uh, the, I don't know, like the headquarters for this kind of thing. But people claim that she did this and used all of this to deceive people. You know, get some clout for back in the day. And yes, absolutely, of course, it's easy to dismiss her as some attention-seeking person, as there are many of them, as we see today, but of course, back then too. There is no shortage of somebody out there just craving attention. I mean, hi, hello, my name is Harmony, and I do it too. Except, not making it up. 
and she had nothing to truly gain from lying. And how, as well, could she really have gotten access to that material that she knew? How did she find the gardens? She found and discovered and shared many things that were impossible for her knowledge. Impossible, of course. Unless it's true. And as I read while I was researching this, I want to end it with a quote. Because it truly ties this whole tale together. As Hamlet says to Horatio in Shakespeare's amazing play, Hamlet, there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Basically, our small pea brain minds can never truly comprehend our reality and what all there is. So I'm gonna leave it to you. With just this tale of Om Seti, did I change your mind? If you weren't a believer, do you all of a sudden now think, wow, maybe it is possible? Or are you like many others and say, ah, there's an explanation. Someone may not have found it, but I assure you there's one. We may never know the real story or the reality behind Dorothy or Om Seti. All we know is her life led to many things in our history, things that we still don't understand. But it wasn't just her life and all of her accomplishments that would give us a history backing to us as humans. It would also be the fact that her story shows us and tells us that this life we're living right now may not be our last. And something about that just gives this story a happy ending, which is a lot different than what we usually have here. Am I right or am I right? enjoyed this episode and I look forward to talking to you next week where I will have another tale for you from around our world. Will it be a crime? Will it be something spooky? Or will it be just me talking about my toes? Who knows? But stick around and find out next week on What the Actual F. Spoiler alert, it's not going to be the last one. However, until then, I love you guys and stay safe because I never want to tell a story about you. Okay, bye!